Hi there, this is Joe Cosgrove, author of Walt Dreamer's Me. It's a delight. You're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 76 of Stories of the Magic, and Happy New Year. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we conclude our three-part interview with Joe Cosgrove, author of Walt Dreamer's Me, conducted in person in the Club 1901 Lounge at Disney California Adventure. Previously, we talked about what made Disney such a profound influence on his early life, and quite a bit about Walt Disney himself, his beginnings in animation, Disneyland, Candlelight Processional, and more. And I thought the Candlelight Processional information was particularly relevant, given that that episode was released the day after Christmas this year. In this episode, Joe talks about why he decided to write his book, Walt Dreamer's Me, how Disney affected his work at Fortune 500 companies like Harvey Aluminum, how he wrote his book, his role in transforming radio, and where he learned how to do it, the day he was invited to be principal of the day, the launch of automated banking and automated newspapers at Club 33, his advice to you for following your dreams, a preview of his next book about cast members, including a couple of great stories he's been told, and, of course, shameless plug time. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap out loud at work to the amusement of co-workers and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over the counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and Blackberry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by Jewelbeat.com 
And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. That's wonderful. I love that. And, and since you just mentioned your book, let's go ahead and talk about the book itself okay. for a little bit. Because I, you know, people are hearing this interview, but I also want them to go get the book. Yeah, it's on so Amazon. So that they can hear right? more. Yeah. Right. Um, why did you decide to write it? My wife said to me, you know, you've been impacted in your life by so many people, including Walt Disney and Charles Fuller and Harold Ockengay. Um, you got to write about them. You know stories about Walt because of your relationship with Joshua Medor, who was, when Josh was a, you know, Walt bought 70 of Josh's oil paintings. Come on, he loved this guy. I mean, this was his go-to guy. You know, as I mentioned, he did the special effects on uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right, right. And he ended up doing special effects for the Haunted Mansion for the, all of, for the park from over the studio. And she said, you know, you, you need to share these stories because... Um, you're, you were a kid just growing up in the Depression, and you just, you're like most people are going to read this book. Because mm-hmm. you've often said to me, I can't imagine living in a world without Walt Disney. Tell people about it. Paul Harvey, I was a newsman, as you know. I worked for CBS, ABC, NBC, on radio and on television in my career. And um, Paul Harvey was a friend of mine. We never met, but we talked on the phone. I was what you call a stringer, and I would feed him stories from all. But I would travel around the world uh, on my job and my career. I would call him with stories that he would use on the radio. And we got to be pals. And uh, I love Paul Harvey News. Paul Harvey News, for you folks in this generation, was the most listened-to radio newsman in the world, not just America. He was on ABC Radio for... Like 50 years. He was on in the morning. He was on at noon and 15 minutes. He was on every evening. And then he did a show called The Rest of the Story. And Paul Harvey News was the high. Paul Harvey had more listeners than all other radio and television news people to combined. Wow. He had the largest. I remember Tom Brokaw having him on as a guest saying, Mr. Harvey, you are my hero. You're my role model. Paul Harvey was a man who was, above all things, honest. And when I was working for Senator Goldwater, giving him news reports on it, he would double-check everything before we would use it. Paul Harvey's approach was short headlines and short bylines, and I decided in doing Walt Dreamers Me to write a book like Paul Harvey News. Mm -hmm. So when you get my book, and we got a copy of it right here, and you open it up, we have short headlines. Walt sees Snow White. You know, Walt works on the railroad. Walt is hooked on animation. You know, you see short headlines and short bylines. This it's not written like a traditional book, folks. It's written like a news story, because what I wanted you to do, I wanted you to go on the journey with Walt. I wanted you to see where he started as a kid with his dad and I wanted you to go on the journey and my journey too because it impacted me and how I wanted you to see how Walt's impact wasn't just on my work ethic and striving for excellence but how Walt transformed everything I did. I will give you a good example. I worked for three Fortune 500 companies I transformed their annual meetings. I turned them into three-act plays. 
I transformed their plant tours. Well, we had tours with all of our facilities around the world. We had plant tours. I turned them into a Disney show where they were entertaining and they were fun. And it wasn't just a bunch of dry statistics. There were stories. And I trained the people along the way to speak to the guests and have something substantive to say. I then decided also to elevate the visuals of the company because they had just an old black and white, forget a, like a brownie camera and a guy. And I, did, I hired a former Life magazine photographer who traveled the world for life. And there's no magazine in the world that's got more pictures of life. This was our ace guide. I hired him and I sent him around the world and it took 25,000 pictures for me. And I transformed the image of this company and this industry with dramatic Disney-esque type pictures because he knew exactly what I wanted. This guy had, his name was Tom Carroll. He had uh, eight different lenses. He had the state-of-the-art Nikons. He had his own laboratory. I sent him to every plant we had in the world. I had him shoot aerials. I had him shoot, I had him shoot everything in Africa and Norway and the Virgin Islands and Michigan and up on the Pacific Northwest, we had our aluminum production plant. And his pictures were like works of art. I mean, people were staggered when they would see these pictures. And uh, when I did this, the president of the company that hired me, Lawrence Harvey, said, well, we have a, why are you doing this? And I said, well, Lawrence, you hired me to improve your image. You hired me to elevate where you've been. You've said you want to take the company to new heights. I'm hiring this guy because he's key. Because I did, And he, hired, he signed the purchase order for it. And then I worked out a deal with Tom because after Tom started working with me, he said, if you will give me a vendor's list that I could go to and sell some of these pictures, then I will give you your pictures. I'll forget the purchase order. I'll give you the, the photos for nothing. And I did. So I got all, I, he made his money off. Oh, you're going to get those, my machinery? Oh, you're going to get my processing? <laughs> they wanted that. Uh -huh. So I ended up getting all of those. And um, the president of Alcoa met me and he said, at a meeting of Aluminum Summit here. He said, your advertising, your corporate brochures, your annual is stunning. There's nothing like it. Thank your staff. And I said, there's really two people, me and the photographer. We do the whole thing. And he said, really? I said, yeah. How many people do your annual report? He said, I have 36 people to do my annual report. But, see, I needed him. I couldn't do what he did. Uh -huh. Now, Leo Harvey... Who Harrison Price, and we can talk about Buzz Price on the show too if you want. Because Buzz Price worked, the man that bought the land for Walt here, that located Disney in Anaheim and located Orlando, the man that did that worked at Harvey Aluminum just like I did, and we were pals, okay? So uh, he Harrison told me if I hadn't worked for the Harveys, I never could have worked for Walt because they're very much like him. Hands on, no nonsense, we gotta do the best kind of a best kind of a job, best possible work. Um, but, you know, I told, I told uh, uh, Lawrence that I wanted to take these pictures and do storyboard the entire history of the company at the corporate headquarters in Torrance. And I went to the rolling mill and I had to make these huge aluminum uh, frames that they kind of bent them so they wouldn't be just flat. Mm -hmm. And I had Tom go and we took, we had 20 by 20 blow-ups from the bauxite being dug up in Africa to the finished products like on the Boeing airplanes or in the military and I had everything in the rolling mills extrusion mills the forging plant all that all there pictorially and when I was doing this Leo Harvey came out and said to him, said to to his son and his son told me he says my dad thinks you're wasting all this money to do this and he says why is he doing this it's a big waste of time what Mr. Hollywood with all the pictures 
three months later, I happened to step out of my office in the plant, and there was Leo Harvey going down the hallway with a thing pointing. He was taking a guided tour. And, <laughs> and I went and told Lawrence, and Lawrence says, Joe, he, when he saw the whole thing, when it was done, he got, was so excited. He says, oh, my God, this is my story. <laughs> See, he was so much like a doubter, like Roy. To, to, and he opposed everything I was doing, by the way. He thought it was crazy. Two world bankers who focused on the aluminum industry and had been at the plant before, every periodically they would do uh, industry analysis and they would visit every aluminum company on the planet. Monica T.D. Edison, Pichonet, Alcan, Alcoa, and Harvey Aluminum, and all the aluminum plants. So Lawrence called me. I'd been on board about three weeks, three months. My predecessor took me on a quick... We had three over three million square feet under roof. He took me through in a golf cart in 20 minutes, and that was my first tour. <laughs> so being like Vin Scully... And by the way, folks, the reason Vin Scully is so great is because Vinny does his homework. He prepares for every Dodger ball game. He's there at Dodger Stadium five hours before every game talking to the players in the dugout of both sides. He knows the managers. He did his homework. So I decided that I would do my homework. So mm-hmm. on my own, on my lunch break or whatever, I would go through the plan. I walked through the plan like this. Now, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pointing to me wearing white slacks and a Hawaiian shirt. I, when I went to work for Harvey, I wore Hawaiian shirts every day and white shirts. And I did it on purpose because I liked Hawaii and I've always worn them. And I decided no shirt and tie for me. And that was my everybody. And I said, the minute I did that, everybody smiled. The minute they saw me, they smiled. And they looked for me every day when they came. And they talked to me because I wasn't the guy, Bobby Business, from the corporate headquarters spying on him. I was Joe with the Hawaiian shirt who tells me jokes, you know. Uh-huh. So I walked through the plan. I talked with them. I talked with this one. I talked to that one. I talked to this guy. I found out, okay, over here, we're made, we are the exclusive supplier of aluminum forged window frames for the Boeing company, greatest um, aerospace company on the planet, making the best planes. We were their exclusive maker of the window frames that you look at. And, and what people don't understand is those forgings are an integral part of the fuselage. Mm-hmm. They hold that plane. You look out the window, but that's that window frame is a big aluminum and it's forged, and you can't get more stronger than forged aluminum. And the wheels that the planes are forged, and the wings that are made from extruded aluminum. From our, so, I learned all this information walking through the plant week after week on my own, and I got to know these that people. So I got to know stories. So when Walt calls me and said these bankers are here, they want to plan a tour. So, remember the first tour I had was 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and I had spent all these, all my own time doing this. I took these guys on a golf cart, and we were gone for an hour and a half. The next day, Lawrence called me and said, come see me. I said, hey, what's, we, we, we met every day, and I thought we could talk about it. He said, before we get into something, I want to tell you, the bankers, and I know them well because they've been coming here for years, and I want you to know, Joe, these are very, everybody illuminated, these are the most sorry for the sudden stop there we just relocated to someplace a little bit quieter here in the lounge so now we're going to pick up where we left off the story I have to tell you Randy that uh, Lawrence called me in and these bankers he said I, they've been coming here for many years I know them well they are tops they know this industry 
like few people, and they do reports on all, once they visit. They're not just bankers. They do industry reports the whole industry gets and the media gets. They said to me, this, the plant tour you took him on yesterday, he said, they said to me, he said, this was the finest plant tour we have ever been on. We've been doing this, Lawrence, for 25 years. It was fun. The stories were fabulous. We learned stuff we never knew before. And uh, so Lawrence said, I wanted to thank you, Joe. I said, just doing my job. And he said, what did you do? And I told him what I'd done. And I said, you know, I'm a Disney guy, above all. Mm-hmm. And I realized that Walt Disney's appeal is universal. And Walt was a great storyteller. And he had a sense of humor. So when we went on this plant tour, I took him on a Disney cruise through the plant in a storytelling adventure. I told him stories, all about this and that. And it made a point about, oh, that goes into a Boeing aircraft. Oh, that goes into a military thing. But it was it was a story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a bunch of statistics like you're reading, like you go out of getting a lecture in a university, you know? Right. And he said, well, whatever he did, it was really great. And uh, it, I, it, it was fun. But I, I shared that story because that's the, the thing I learned when I spent my years with Josh Vetter. I learned storytelling. And I learned picture boarding. And I learned to gather visual information in my brain every time I went. So, Josh Metter. Let me talk about Josh Metter, if I might. Josh yeah, Metter, for you folks listening, was the art director on Snow White. Hey, that's the biggest job. The whole show is art, and this is the director, and he's got 600 artists working for him, okay? And it's the vision of labor. He's got a crew working on every character, as I was telling Randy off when we were talking. You know... When you see Snow White, you have to understand that thing was hand-drawn. So when you see Snow White's mouth and she articulates words and her eyes move and her cheeks move, they had to have a team do that. One guy couldn't do all that because it was so detailed. And one of the points I wanted to make to uh, Randy when we were off air about Walt, Walt was a detailed guy, and you can see it in Snow White, and that carried over. So when you go to Disneyland today, look at the details. Look, wow. look at the ceiling in the Emporium. Look at the ceiling in the uh, in the uh, uh, the Plaza Inn restaurant. Go look, look, look. Walt was a detailed guy. You know, even the trash cans were made over the. We made them over the movie. The, the, all the all the original attraction uh, rides were made over the Disney Studio, and, and, and Josh Matter had a big hand on them. Now Josh Matter was not only the art director on Snow White, but he was special effects director for everything Walt did on movies and in films and ultimately for the theme park. Josh Metter was a classically trained artist, and he's the guy that brought me into the Disney Studios. I was on radio, on Los Angeles radio, KPOL, AM and FM, back in the 50s, after I'd finished graduate school. KPOL at that time was 50,000 watts on AM and 250,000 watts on stereo FM, and our signal could be heard from Santa Barbara to San Diego. And I'm the guy, when I came to that station, because that station was became successful when the introduction of Long Play Records came out. That's where the station got its content. And we played what you today would call adult contemporary music or what they call beautiful music or some people call it elevator music, whatever you want to say. <laughs> but it was big big orchestras, Percy Faith, Frank Chaxfield, uh, Michelle Legrand, uh, Frank Purcell, 
it was you know, Roger Williams, Ronnie Aldridge. I mean, big orchestras, big piano, big voices like John Raitt or Earl Wrightson or, you know, uh, Raycon of Choir and uh, Julie Andrews. And we played we played a lot of music from the Disney movie. We, we were the station in Hollywood that played music from Hollywood. We played uh, music from all the major motion pictures, their themes. You know, there's music in every movie for a reason. We played their theme songs. When Ben-Hur came out, I played excerpts from Ben-Hur on my Sunday morning show, which, by the way, was called The Holiday in Stereo. And I was written up in the L.A. Times many times. It was the highest-rated program in the city at the time. It was uh, AM-FM stereo, and it was, a, it was a blend of classical, semi-classical, inspirational, and patriotic music. And let me tell you what I mean. My opening, my opening theme was from the Deflated Mouse, and it was a very dramatic opening. And then maybe I'd start out with a uh, segment from a Mozart piano concerto that was dramatic, like for the 20th piano concerto. Or maybe I would play some bright thing from Tchaikovsky. And then I would segue into Percy Faith playing something from a popular television show. And then I would play a chorus from a Disney movie from Mary Poppins or, you know, Someday My Prince Will Come. And other, and that, or, or I would play music from Oklahoma or music from Pajama Game, music from the Broadway stage. So we played music from motion pictures from the Broadway stage. And what I did at that station was, that station was in obscurity when I started with it, because they just played, when they finally got to play the music, they had, it was kind of hit and miss, and they just play a record and then they would back announce it. And the owner of the station was a very strong religious man, and he built the station, basically, he said to what he really wanted to reach uh, Los Angeles for Christ, he wanted to be inspirational, so he had religious programming on in the morning and the evening, and he had, all day Sunday was our religious program. And I was a student at Fuller Seminary, the greatest seminary, by the way, in the world. And I, this is my first job. And he respected me at Fuller. And I told him, and I persuaded him, because the management of the station said, we can't go anywhere because we can't have a real format because we have religion in the morning, we have it in the middle of the day, we have it, and then on Sunday we disappear. I persuaded him. I gave him a substitute idea. I persuaded him to take it all off. And he went for it. What I told him was, on the spur of the moment, I said, I got... And I did. Get all, you tell me you want to reach people and inspire them to attend church, to read the Bible. I've got an idea. Get all this stuff up and I'll do it for you. Look, you're selling 30-second and 60-second commercials from General Motors and uh, Norm's Restaurant and all these car dealers. They're paying big money. And they're, and they're paying to get this message. I can give you a message that will have an impact on people. So I got a thing and I made it right up on the spot called Something to Think About. He said, can you give me a sample? I'll be back. So I went home and I wrote a bunch of them, went to the studio, recorded them, had lunch with them, and played them for him. And he said, I love these. I said, you got to be like Charles Fuller. you got to be like Walt Disney. You've got an audience out there. Entertain them. Draw them in. Don't preach at them. Uh-huh. Don't yell at them. Be subtle. Something I think about was like, Hey, do you like going to Dodger Stadium? I love going to Dodger. I love band. I would talk about it, you know, going. I said, you know, the, one of the reasons that baseball and football and all these teams are so successful and why we like them in this, in, in this uh, why there's uh, integrity there is because we have umpires. We have rules we have to follow. And if you make the rules, you're going to get penalized. Well, you know, the Bible is a book of rules for life. 
like the Ten Commandments. Those are rules not to tell you to be miserable, but to give you a happy life. Little short things like that. Well, he loved it. The public loved it. Those are the kind of things I did. Mm. So I was on, I came on, they started me on, I was on at Sunday evening RCA, but I was a seminar where I was brought to play inspiration music, and of course he was doing that. And they they hired me, and I did Sunday morning. I, they gave me Sunday morning. He said, when I did this, they said, I like to do Sunday morning. And uh, the first Sunday, I noticed I didn't have much advertising because they had our members all be so I decided to do blocks of music, Walt Disney story time. So I decided to storyboard the entire, from 6 o'clock in the morning to when I storyboard every, and I decided to do it in 50 to 20 minute segments. This is AM radio in your car. Mm-hmm. This is a revolution, folks. Back in the 50s, this was unheard of. And stereo on your FM. So that morning, I storyboarded the whole thing, and I played blocks of music. And the program director called me and said, what are you doing? I said, why? He says, well, you're supposed to. And I said, you know what? I didn't have too many because I'm doing no. I decided to I told him what I was doing. He said, it's something wrong. And he said, no, I love it. We're going to do the whole station that way, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. So that changed the station. And no more back announcing. But I was the only one of the broadcasters because I had, they finally brought me on full time. Uh, I my first shift was midnight till dawn. I did that for six months. Wow! But um, I storyboarded every fifteen-minute segment. Okay, and the something to think about that I did were being played, and uh, they finally said we got to have somebody else do this, Joe, because we're literally the phones ring off every day. We get thousands of letters. People want copies of that, and we want you to be our announcer. So they, uh, John Hart who was a, a, distra- a distracted with me up there, who became a CBS newsman. His dad was a pastor of a church in Pasadena, and his dad took over, and he took over. He got the idea of what I was doing, and he took it over because he said, hey, we want you to be reading commercials. We don't want you to be our, you know, our, our inspirational pastor on the thing. But my Sunday show was really quite eclectic because I would play everything from Elvis Presley singing There'll Be Peace in the Valley, How, how Great Thou Art, to uh, Jerome Hines of the Metropolitan Opera singing How Great Thou Art, uh, <laughs> or the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing Faith of Our Fathers or God Bless America with a big symphony orchestra. Uh-huh. This show was number one in Los Angeles. I was pulling down fours and fives every time I was on. And I will tell you a fascinating story that came to me unexpectedly. I wanted inspirational music because I love Charles Fuller. He, he he elevated, remember on the old fashioned revival, he elevated. I had Paul Mickelson, who had been Billy Graham's pianist, decided he would orchestrate inspirational music from the church with a big orchestra. Mm-hmm. And I encouraged them and I played it. And Ralph Carmack was another guy and I encouraged them. And I, and, 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 and Madhavani heard what I was doing on Sundays, apart from the week. And he decided to do an album. And Pat Boone uh, was someone that I introduced to Ralph Carmichael. Ralph Carmichael was a guy that had started out doing sacred music with choirs and so forth. And then he went to a big orchestra and he orchestrated. He did an album of spirituals. Uh, with a big 50-piece orchestra. They recorded it at Capitol Records, and he sent me an advanced copy of it in stereo, and I played it one Sunday morning mm-hmm. on KPOL. The whole f- I took 45 minutes and played it without interruption. I just played the whole thing. He called me up the following Monday and said, can you come? And, no, not didn't call me on Monday. He called me Wednesday at the house, and he said, can, I, can we get together sometime? And I said, sure. We, so we got together some, the week, next week for lunch. And I said, what's up? And he said, 
You know, when you played my album of spirituals, I music, I, I got a call from the president of Capitol Records. I said, oh, Glenn Wallach, yeah. I said, I know him. We, we play a lot of his music. I get his, They sent a lot of their albums over to me to play. He says, well, Glenn Wallach listens to you. He, he says, we have a date with Joe every Sunday. We love holiday and stereo. We have our yacht down at the harbor, and we get on just as he's getting started. We have all the speakers on, and we go to Catalina from, because Joe's playing this music from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock, and we're out there, and it's fabulous. <laughs> we're hearing this really upbeat, big, you know, Mozart and Bach and, and the Tabernacle Choir and uh, these great voices, you know. And it's, we get, it's just, it, it's our date. We, this is what we do. And I heard your album of spirituals, and I thought, this is an arranger. I think one of my, he was telling, Ralph was telling me, he said, I thought to myself when I told my wife, I think one of our artists would like this guy. And he said, when I got back, before I called you, I was going to call you. I mean, this artist called me and said, He said, did you listen to Joe yesterday? And he said, yeah. He said, I want that arranger to do my next album. So he called Ralph, and Ralph's telling me this story. And I go to his office, and he tells me, he says, we're big fans of Joe. And he told that whole story. He said, one of our recording artists have heard you, and he wants, you listen to Joe all the time, he wants you to re- arrange and do his next album. And that, that recording artist was Nat King Cole. Wow. And Ralph did Lazy Hazy Days of Summer and then several more albums with Nat. But I wanted to take inspirational music of the church and elevate it with just and, and so many so many people recorded it. Percy Faith did a whole album of, of, of and he told me he, I ran into me and says, Hey, you know, I did that album because of you because I listen to you guys. You play my music all week long, but I thought, I want to be on that Sunday show, too. So he did. it was great. I said, your album is fabulous. Uh-huh. He said, well, I hope it does well. I said, it just came out. He said, well, we've only sold 50,000 copies so far. I said, don't worry, buddy. It'll become a classic because those, those are standards. People 50 years from now are like. Uh-huh. But the bottom line is that I learned that storyboarding technique from Walt to storyboard. He storyboarded movies. He storyboarded Disneyland. So I storyboarded it. Uh, and when I put a radio station on Lake Tahoe, I took that same form and I changed the whole thing to the sound of music. And I had a 29 versions of All Hills Are Alive with the sound of music. And that was my theme at the station up at the lake. And I had the same music. And uh, and the station, we became number one. And we, we dominated from Tahoe to Reno. When I was on, we had most of the listeners because people loved it. Mm-hmm. They could get in the car. And uh, Bill Harrow liked our, our format, the same format I was doing. And uh, by the way, when I when I was doing the nighttime show and doing other shifts, I threw I sprinkled patriotic and inspirational music in them, not just for Sunday. And it was so, the response was so good that people, the owners thought, oh, okay, it's usually they just play the secondary music. But right. you you be driving home from work on a Friday night, and all of a sudden you had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic, <laughs> followed by Yankee Doodle Dandy or something. And I go, wow, this is great. This is the Fourth of July weekend, you know. <laughs> right. And then I'm the guy that pioneered doing Christmas music, and we started the tradition, AM and FM, and I stayed at KPOL for Christmas Eve all the way, Christmas, 24 hours, and I played 24 hours, and I stayed there, up for 24 hours, and I played nothing but Christmas music without any commercials for 24 hours. Wow. We owned Christmas 
we owned. We had the ratings for our station was no one anywhere near us. Every homeowner that had a tableau, thousands of them had our music all over from Santa Barbara were playing our music because they knew they put it and it was not going to be blah 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 right. it was going to be nothing but Christmas music you know uh-huh. they got we got so much mail as a result of that and uh, so the thing that I well, the reason I shared this with your audience is I learned these lessons from Walt and uh, it impacted me on the radio it impacted me when I was with these private corporations to take Walt's approach to storytelling to engage people, to entertain people, mm-hmm. to inform people through entertainment, it works. It does, yeah. I, in my book, we were talking about Walt Draper's me. Mm-hmm. In there, I talk about the day I was invited to be principal of the day. And I never, yeah. I was invited to be uh, a fellow up in the Bay Area, had an uncle who was a principal of a school right here at Lake, up at Lake Forest. And I met him at lunch, and he said, would you be principal of the day? And uh, what you do is you go around and you go to all the classrooms and say a few words, and uh, uh, we'd like you to do that. So I said, sure, that sounds like fun. I'd like to talk about Walt Disney. And he said, that would be great. I'd like you to talk about Walt. So I, at the time, I didn't realize what they really meant. But doing my own thing, I had my wife take me up there a week before I was going to do it and drop me off. I called him and said, I want to meet you tomorrow. What time do you there? 7 o'clock. And he says, well, I said, I want to spend the morning with you. He said, well, okay. <laughs> so I came up and I spent the morning with him and I went around to all the classrooms. I went to the thing. And then he drove me home. He said, no one has been a pre- I've been doing this for 40 years. No one's. I said, I work with Bob Hope. Bob Hope's a buddy of mine. Bob goes nowhere without an advanced crew going there. Checks out the audio. Checks out the auditorium. Checks out the news in the city. Checks out the latest event. He checks everything out. I wanted to check you out. And I said, it's a good thing I did, because I found out you had smart boards. I never even saw those things before. I got the phone numbers from each teacher that has smart boards, so I could email them audios and, and visual pictures of Walt that I want to use in my talk. About Walt, 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 okay. Now, I didn't realize that much later, when they said talk, they had 57 schools they did this, and most of them, I bet them later, they were all dressed up in Bobby business suits with the best of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's, and these guests, what they were basically to do would stand up stiffly in front of the class at the very beginning. Basically, this is what they all did. And they've been doing it for years. It is, I'm Bill Soul from the so-and-so uh, hospital uh, business, and I'm very glad to be, be spend time and see what you kids are doing in school today. It's so nice to be with you. That was it. So I, didn't, I did not know that. I thought they were going to speak. So I spent three months preparing for my presentation. Uh-huh. I memorized scripts and songs. We got all these pictures together. So I go up there and I tell... Uh, I dress up in my wall. I wear my Mickey, my Mickey sweatshirt with Mickey on it, my, Mickey, my Disney uh, yellow thing with Mickey on it, my Mickey hat. And I, I know I'm a walking Walt Disney guy walking in there. So I walk in there... And the minute I walk in, the kids are smiling. And, How do you miss at Disneyland? And they're How many kids? You know, what is your, you know, what's your favorite character? And they're all listening to me. And then for ten minutes, I would flip it up pictures. I would sing to them. I sang to them. I danced to them. I told them, you know, Walt was a person who accentuated the positive and eliminated the negative and brought joy to the maximum and negativity down. And this was life's Walt side. Then I showed pictures of Walt storyboarding and how he built Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I did this in every single class. And by the way, 
before every kid left, not only did I sing and dance and tell them stories, but I, I high-fived every kid in that class before. I went right down and high-fived, touched those kids. I did it all day long. I went to the meeting at lunch because I had a ball there, and I was all, everybody's dressed up formally, and I'm sitting there like, you know, like I've been going to Disneyland. And he says, you don't have to say anything, Joe. And I said, fine. I didn't say it. They all stood up. And I found out that's what they did. They didn't do it. They didn't give a spiel like I didn't have all these props and stuff. They just came up like, you know, like, mm-hmm. when the, well, they're not Walt Disney, and they're not like me. They're not a broadcaster. They're a businessman. They're a banker. They're a uh, CEO of a hospital. Or a market, but they're not... You know, I started with my aunt, I told you, I learned the presence, mm-hmm. how to get on the stage and have eye contact with people. Um, a year after this event, I ran into my friend, my nephew, the friend of the uh, principal, mm-hmm. um, and he said, I just talked to my uncle, and he says, when you see Joe, tell him we're still talking about that day. <laughs> when he dropped me off at the house after the meeting... He looked at me and said, Joe, I've been a principal for 40 years. I have never had a day like this. Thank you so much. And then I found out from Jay when he told me, he says, he says, usually when these guys come and they speak for a couple of minutes, the kids are fidgeting, they're passing notes. He said, he said, my, my uncle told me, these kids would have walked out with Joe. Because Joe said, I said, that's why I spent the half a day up there. Because when the kids went, I went to every classroom. And when the kids were at the playground, I was on the playground with the kids. I learned all I met. I met the, I saw everybody. I got, I got a feel for it. So I was ready to go. You learn that from Walt. If you're going to do something, prepare for it. Don't go second rate. Don't go, you know. I got, I even bought piles of stuff here, notes here, that so I wouldn't forget something because Walt's story is so great. But mm-hmm. anyway, I wanted to say that that's how I ap- applied what I learned from Josh Meadow and Walt to business and to public speaking and all the stuff I did. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, it, it's a level of uh, dedication and commitment and just work ethic that most people don't have. You know, and that's unfortunate. I think that Walt was the hardest working guy in the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when he wasn't doing the drawing, he was yeah. doing so much else. And he was smart enough to hire people who could draw better than him, and then that freed him up to do those things that he did so you well. You want to talk about Disneyland now? Do we want to get to that? <laughs> Maybe for a couple of minutes. We're okay. getting towards Walt, the end here. Okay. So. Walt researched it for 20 years. When he wanted to do it, Roy and Leo thought he was crazy. Crazy idea. Walt went out and raised all the money. Harrison, my buddy Harrison... Uh, Buzz Harrison Price picked up the location and bought the land for him. Walt had a picture of the park, no ROI, no business plan, just had a picture, went out and raised the money, bought the land and built the park in 18 months. Mm -hmm. The difference between Walt and what you see happening when politicians get involved is what's happened in Irvine. When the city of Orange got 4,500 of free land from the government at El Toro Marine Base, uh, the group of people in Irvine decided that they would do a great park, and that was 20 years ago. They were given this land for nothing, and in 20 years, they've spent $200 million, and you know what's there? Nothing. Mm-hmm. That's why America was built by dreamers, whether it was the Boeing Company or Edison or Walt Disney or Henry Ford uh, whoever, or, or my friends in my book. By the way, I, in my book, I write about Club 33, and I write about the invention of the computer that you folks listen to. It was invented by some friends of mine, and they're written about in my book. Cal Lee is the inventor of the motherboard and the computer on a chip. 
And that company, I launched the automation of banking. When you go do your automating banking, I launched that at Club 33. And when you pick up a newspaper, I launched the automation of newspapers at Club 33 with 500 newspaper publishers. Because Walt always wanted to take the latest technology and make things more cost-effective, more time-efficient. And uh, I just wanted to share that bit about my time at the club. Thanks to Walt, I've been at the club since the very beginning. But it's, I've celebrated birthdays there. I put many friends and servicemen and make-a-wish people and so forth and so on. But the launching of the automation of banking for the whole world and publishing was done at Club 33. That's very cool. That is very, very I invited cool. 500 newspaper publishers of a meeting and convention to come for dinner. I had a buffet dinner from 5 to midnight, and they all showed up. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And that's... It's so important that you know, you've talked about through all of this how you've started and built through these dreams and everything. And you know, I know there are people who are listening uh, who have their own dreams. Probably everybody has at least one, but some of them have forgotten it. It's just been kind of beat down, and they've just kind of you know they've forgotten it maybe, or they've just been told that it'll never work or whatever. But I mean, you've met all these amazing people, done all this amazing stuff, written a book, all these kinds of things. So. You know, if the person that's listening to all of this and says, that's great, but, you know, I could never do that, what would you say to them? If you really believe, write it down, storyboard it. You know, write your dream down. This is, and what your goals are, what your objective is, and, 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 and outline it. And then share it with people that you think might help you, maybe some friends you know, and run it by them and see what they think, critique it. And, and put, put your, in other words, create a game plan. I'd, I'd rather call it that than a business plan, a game plan. And you, 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 so you got to put your dreams down and write it. You, gotta, you just can't, i got to do one of this, I want to build a story, I want to do this, I want to do that. Write it down. Writing, you know, when you write something down, it, 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 you have to think about it. You know, when Thomas Jefferson and John Adams wrote letters, they gave it a lot of thought. Those letters are great because they, they thought before they wrote. So this will give you a chance to lay your dream out and spell it out. And then if you get that, then share it with people. And before you know it, you'll find people of like mind. But never give up on your dreams. But you've got to be realistic. And by going to other people that have anything critique it and looking at it, they'll help you. They'll help you. <clears throat> but don't be... You know, remember, Walt was not born in a rush family. Walt never finished formal education. Walt followed his gut. And... He was, above all, a believer. He believed that doing good for others would bring him happiness. And that's why he said, when I built this park, the buildings are fine, the music is fine, the attractions are fine, all the carriages are fine, but the key is when the cast members engage the guests, that's when the magic happens. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely. That's why I have this podcast, and so much of it has been focused on those people that have worked for Disney because they're the ones that make it what it is. And Walt said that was... This the hypocrisy setting, and cast members, and you know, we're, our next book is on cast members. We've been talking to them, and if you know some, you can probably introduce us to some of them. But we've met some fabulous cast members. Some that worked with Walt when he was here. You know, they retired, they're, they went on and became doctors and so forth. Mm-hmm. But cast members, they go there and they bring the pixie dust there because you can't train somebody to do something for this artistic kid or this thing that just happens. It's just they've got to go with their own pixie dust, okay? And so Walt knew, I'll set this up and these folks will bring the pixie dust. And the stories, I'm telling you, the stories we have heard, Randy, so far are mind-boggling. I'm so glad we're doing this. Uh, 
There's one story in particular about an autistic child that came here every other week for a whole year, ran out every day to grab a princess, and she would just be very kind and bring her back. And she often wondered why this kid was here every other week. And then, after the year, this kid came up and actually said, spoke to her about, oh, you make me so happy. And she took her back to her parents and said, ah. I love your daughter. I've enjoyed seeing her. But today she's told me, and they looked at her, their eyes open, and said, can we see you after the parade? Because she said, so after the parade they met, they said, you probably noticed she's aware that we live in Sacramento. We couldn't be here all the time. But this is, she's, she, she's, she lives a, she, she, she lives by, she's never connected with us. But when we bring her here, she gets happy. She smiles. She's excited. But she's never spoken to us. You're the first person she spoke to. Wow. That kind of magic goes on in this park all the time. Robert Iger, Michael Coglazer, all these fine men, it's the cast members, the boots on the ground. That's why we're doing this story, because you can't beat that kind of history, you know. Yeah. And uh, I thought I'd tell you, but there's a lead who's very famous. I mean, he was six years old. His mom bought him when the park first opened. He said, they're riding the railroad. He said, Sunday, I'm going to work on this railroad. And a few years back, he called his mom and said, Mom, when I was a little kid, you probably... She says, guess where I work? She had no idea. <laughs> I'm working on the railroad. It blew her away. <laughs> blew her away. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Randy, Randy, thanks for having me on. Folks can go to Amazon and just punch in Wall Dreamers B, and you'll see all the reviews. And It's a different kind of book. It's not like a regular book. By the way... Most of the people have got to have said, I can how to get away from my kids, because kids can read it. You know? uh-huh. It's not like a dry history. Right. And right. thanks for having me on and sharing all these stories. My pleasure. But Walt, Charles Fuller, Harold Ockengay, Ronnie Reagan, these people had a profound influence, man. They were all honest men. It's such refreshing. You know, Walt, I have to close with this. I have to share this. Ben Franklin said where he had 16 principles for happiness, and he said where truth and honesty are wanting. Listen to me, folks. Everything's wanting. So you stop and think about it. When you're being lied to, whether it's on a personal level, political, business, it's not going to work. It's unsound. It's, it's, there's no integrity. There's no reliability. Just remember where truth and honesty are wanting. Everything. And Walt, above all things, was honest. To, to, a, to a fault. Honesty. Remember that, folks. You can listen to anybody you want. If they're not telling the truth, you can't trust them. It's a great way to end it. Thank you very much, Joe. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Joe Cosgrove for being my guest and to you for listening. For our next interview, I'm very excited to welcome a husband and wife team that I've wanted to talk to since I started this podcast. Rather than telling you who they are, though, I'm going to let them tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Stories of the Magic. I'm Bill Rogers. And I'm Camille Dixon. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, or you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever, and you want to tell people about it, why Disney matters to you and why it matters to you, then I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, I'd love to hear from you, too. 
For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. With this being the first of the year, this would be a great time to share a story and help us get 2015 off to a great start. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Speaking of getting the new year off to a great start, getting a couple of five-star reviews would be a really good way for Stories of the Magic to start the year. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, including one to Joe's book, Walt Dreamer's Me. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. The weekend of January 16th to the 18th, I'll be at Disneyland for the Star Wars Half Marathon weekend races. So if you're going to be around those days, send me an email, post on the podcast Facebook page, or call the listener feedback line and let me know. I would love to meet you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.